Okay, if you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn to the letter of 1 Timothy in the New Testament? And we have arrived at chapter 2. So uh, we've been looking at 1 Timothy for a a little while. Uh, Last time I preached, we concluded the first chapter, so we're going to begin with the second. And today, we're looking at just the very first verse, uh, which I shall read, and then we'll we'll get into in this new section. It says, uh, Paul writes this to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm just going to pray and then we'll, we'll look at it together. Father God, I want to thank you for your presence amongst us. I want to thank you just for the privilege of entering into your courts with thanksgiving and praise. That we really are spending time with a wonderful God who's present with us by his Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just invite you, Lord, in this time as well, would you come and draw us to your word? Would you help us to take it into our hearts, to mix it with faith, to apply it into our lives, to allow it to cause us to think, okay, some things have got to change, or almost to take on new courage, new new faith. Lord Jesus, we, we pray, God, lead us in your word. Lead us that we might encourage one another with it. Help us to see why you've put it here for our attention this morning and the difference that it makes in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the beginning of of a new section. And when he says first, first of all, I think, well, you've just been talking for a whole chapter, and now you're saying first of all. It's like the whole of chapter one is a is a lengthy but necessary uh, introduction to the whole letter. And perhaps the focus of chapter one is Paul picking up both Timothy's discouragement. I urge you, Timothy. It's so important that you stay in Ephesus, even though this is the greatest challenge in ministry you've ever faced. Stay put. And it's also focused on the importance of sound, healthy doctrine. That's where uh, error has come into the life of that uh, church in Ephesus, that massive church. There are uh, a number of, uh, of leaders. We find out a couple of their names in Hymenaeus and Alexander, and, and they've brought so much confusion because they've drifted away from sound doctrine. They've drifted away from the glorious gospel, therefore, that's mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 1. The, the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me, uh, Paul Writes. And so now, in chapter 2, it's the beginning of a new section, but it's linked to what's gone before. Uh, and, and here, the focus, really, it, it takes us into the, the main body of the letter. And the focus uh, is, is developing on the, the conduct, the, the demeanor of, of the church. That's the other purpose for which he's writing it, which he says in, in chapter 3, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon... I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, uh, uh, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So he's not just saying, oh, this stuff applies to Ephesus and just the problems in Ephesus. He's saying, this that I'm writing to you is important in the church of the living God, in every place, in every time. Uh, 
God dwells there, and it's the pillar and foundation of the truth. So these are important, urgent matters that he's uh, bringing to Timothy's attention, and it's like the church in Ephesus are reading over his shoulder or hearing him read it out. That in some ways, it's in many ways, it's written to them uh, as as well. And he's saying, look, the church is God's household. It's the it's the dwelling place of God. Okay, quick sortie back into mid nineties daytime television. Does anybody remember the program? Through the keyhole or looking through the keyhole? What a classic. I will explain for those who have not seen the glories of this program. Um, Lloyd Grossman would do a guided tour of a celebrity's house, uh, pointing out a few clues and a few characteristics, a few objects um, that were in this house, and they would come back to the studio and there'd be a panel of celebrities, and it was their role of other bods. It was their role to ask questions to try to guess whose house it is. Who would live, who lives in a house like this, Lloyd Grossman would say. And over here, there'd be a screen, and the celebrity would be sat here, looking a bit sheepish, because they know, by the looks in the audience's faces, that not everybody recognises who they are. This is daytime television, folks, so it, it wasn't like grade A. It wasn't like instantly recognisable. Um, and so they'd ask their questions, the panel would ask their questions, the audience would give encouraging nods and noises if they were on the right track, and eventually they'd guess whose house it was. And it would be like a weather presenter, you know, someone really at the top of their game. Um, answering that question, who would live in a house like this? And if they paid attention to the clues, they'd see it would, it would become obvious. And there's almost a sense here of saying, of the church, here's the church. Now, who would live in a house like this? If it's God's church, if it's the dwelling place of the living God, then, then it will be obvious in the church. It will be obvious by how they are. It will be obvious by their demeanor that the church is going to match who's dwelling there. And God's dwelling there. God dwells in his church. And so there are certain things that you'd expect to see. Um, Healthy doctrine from chapter 1 being one of them. But this second chapter, as it gets right into it, it's another clue or another indicator of life, of the health in the life of a church is prayer. If that's happening, if that's the demeanor of the church, if that's their, their action, if that's their conduct, then it becomes really obvious to say, yes, look, they're a dwelling place of God because look how they pray. Look how they seek him. Look how they've, uh, they're bringing everything before him in prayer. And if that then is missing, or is somehow muted, has got squashed, the connection doesn't appear so strong. Who would live in this house? Well, if it's God's house, prayer would be there, but it would appear that's been squashed. So maybe it isn't. And I wonder if, as Paul and Timothy visited Ephesus, one of the things that quickly grabbed their attention, little alarm bell, something's not right here. So the church wasn't praying. Or if it was, it, that prayer had somehow got squashed or, uh, or muted, turned right down. Uh, hence, in chapter 2, this 
call to pray, this call to prayer that we're going to look at today. This is not just about a church having a prayer meeting on the calendar, tick box, we can say we're a praying church. This is about our what's just running through us all the time, how we are, what our reaction is in, in crisis and in moments of rejoicing. What do we, what do we do? What does this verse then teach us about this call to prayer? And I'm going to say, give three things. It's always neat to go with three. Um, firstly, the call to pray is urgent. I urge then, first of all, is how Paul begins. Notice that he urged Timothy, to stay in Ephesus. Timothy, this is so important for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of that city, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the believers, for the sake of the church. You must stay there. And now he's writing uh, to the church as well, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Ephesus, for the sake of believers, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the whole world. First of all, pray. This is urgent. This is vital. This is so important. What, what would you write next at that point if you were writing a letter to a Christian friend or uh, a believing church? I urge then, first of all, what? What's number one? What's the top priority? What's, what's God bringing to, uh, to, to prominence? What would you urge a church to do what would come first of all i urge you then first of all preach the word in and out of season uh, he'll get to say that he'll arrive there i urge then first of all that you be prophesying well in 1 corinthians he will say eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Oh yeah, that's so special. It's such, a, such an important aspect of New Testament church life. What about, I urge then, first of all, evangelism. Guys, girls, there's a, a, a lost world out there in desperate darkness. What shall we do? Let's really roll up our sleeves. Let's seek to, uh, to share our faith. Is that what's coming first? Let's be an alpha church. We're a preaching center kind of a church. We're really into social action. It's so important that we're demonstrating uh, the gospel um, compassionately to our neighbors. All of those things, you think, yes, of course they're important. But right first and foremost, Paul says, be a praying church. And to our minds, that can sound dull and boring. It, it sounds a bit insular. It might even sound a bit passive. You know, if, you know, it's, it's that moment when something's really going on, difficult in life, and a friend says, well, I'm going to pray for you. You, think, you. you would feel encouraged. At the same time, you think, well, okay, but there's lots of things that you could also do. It, it sounds like Christianese for kind of crossing your arms and sitting back. No, this is the most important aspect. I might warm to my theme. People might say, the problem with the church today is, and then again, what would the blank be? 
And we might pick an issue or that's going on in the world. We might pick something that's, that's not happening as much as we'd like to see it in the life of the church. And sometimes people inside or outside the church can say, look, in the world, there's this massive problem. And then ask the question, what's the church doing? Surely the church could do more. When we always live with that sense the church could do more. And if that's our uh, driving motivation, we can just get burnt out really, really quickly. Because it, oh, it just would appear that we're never doing enough. Surely we could start another few projects. Surely we should kind of sign up in partnership with a few more Christian charities. Surely we should do this. Surely we should do that. And of course, we, I forget which church it is now that Jesus says, I pray you know, you're doing more than you did at first. Well, well done. Your, your works have grown. Nevertheless, if the church isn't first and foremost praying, then quickly it's dry, it becomes barren. The focus becomes on our effort, our resources, what we can muster up. And, and burnout can happen. So we might look at that in terms of the church. What would, what would we, what would I, what would you urge the church to do? What about in our own life? What would you most like to do? Is that preaching? Preaching is an important aspect of church life. We, we want to give priority to it. That's why we spend probably another 25 minutes doing it on a, on a Sunday like, like now. Um, there's a danger that we can create the impression that it's at the pinnacle, that it's the most important, that it's the most effective, and it's the most special way to serve God. It is important. We want to give time to it. But let me put it in this way. What is our greatest privilege as Christians? What's our greatest privilege? And sometimes, again, I know there will be folk in the room and you desire to preach and that would be a noble uh, desire and sometimes if if any issue in life grabs your attention or any passage of scripture grabs your attention you can start to think what would i say what what would i what would i preach how would i bring that out if if i had the opportunity if i had the chance uh, to address the church or to address a congregation it's no uh, it's no bad thing to be thinking about but what is the greatest privilege of being a christian is it speaking to people or is it speaking to god i think our greatest privilege is that we get to speak to him and that's what's so wonderful about god's grace is even given all of our imperfections because by being in christ we're welcomed in the presence of the almighty to speak to him to have a close relationship with him. And this is Paul's uh, example himself. He writes uh, his letter to the Ephesians that obviously was a few years, uh, few years earlier. And he spends chapter 1 and chapter 2 spelling out sound, healthy doctrine. Here is the glorious gospel 
of the blessed God. Let me tell you all about it. I'm going to take a few chapters to do that. And then in in chapter 3, he says this. For this reason, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he breaks off for a while. So we've got like a whole 13 verses to think, okay, for this reason, what's he about to say? What's the first thing that comes to his mind? I have been uh, outlining the gospel. And for this reason, what? Well, you have to wait and get down to verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray. Paul the apostle, Paul the preacher, Paul the evangelist, Paul the pastor, Paul the teacher. For this reason I pray and I seek him. And so there were massive issues for the early church in terms of persecution. Uh, There were massive needs that they would have been very aware of. Even Jesus' own words. The harvest is ready. The harvest is there. Pray earnestly. In Matthew chapter 9. Pray earnestly. For more workers. Oh, there's so much need. Uh, this is the way in which I'm serving. I, I, it would be great if some others could come with me and serve. Uh, are you available? Are you available? Uh, can I put a note out there on Facebook? Any more volunteers? Is anybody there? I'm... I'm I'm about a great work here. Could you join with me? And we think, first of all, I must speak to the people. I must speak to the people. I must get people's attention. That's okay. That's sometimes a place for it. But we have the privilege and responsibility of bringing things before God. Can you see this is an urgent but very privileged call to pray? First of all, doesn't mean in a brief or tokenistic way as if, Just pray at the beginning. It's just the first thing. Quickly then move on. And it becomes kind of just religious formula. Pray first and then do what you want. Um, Speaking to people is important. Something would be wrong or something's not quite right. Something's unhealthy if I never speak. That's the way relationships develop. That's the way we communicate. But obviously there are times when I'm silent or I'm quiet. I might be listening. I might be sleeping. I might be resting. At those points, I'm not speaking. A church that doesn't pray is a body that doesn't breathe. Breathing needs to happen all the time in any situation. And again, we wonder... Did Paul and Timothy rock up to the church and suddenly realize, in regard of prayer, this is an emergency. Life support is needed in Ephesus because something's wrong. Forgive me for being so direct, but I just think the verse is really, really direct. So we might as well go there. I urge, first of all, that we, uh, we pray And is there anything then that needs to change? I think, if I look back over the recent years, I think think this has been God's main agenda for my own life. The main lessons repeated 
are around prayer. I think God tries different ways to grab my attention and in the midst of my stubbornness, say, Dan, pray, seek me, talk to me about it. And uh, I'm challenged by a quote, I may have even read this before, uh, of John Piper's. Note this, he's addressing church leaders at this point. There might be some other principles, but this wakes me up a little bit. In his book, Brothers, We're Not Professionals. Oh, how we need to wake up to how much nothing we spend our time doing. Apart from prayer, all our scurrying about, all our talking, all our study amounts to, quote, nothing. For most of us, the voice of self-reliance is ten ten times louder than the bell that tolls for the hours of prayer. The voice cries out, you must open the mail, you must make that call, you must write this sermon, you must prepare for the board meeting, you must go to the hospital. But the bell tolls softly. Jesus' words, without me, you can do nothing. Oh yes. And in our culture, perhaps we like to be thought of as, as busy people. We are encouraged, we feel we should be making a difference and having impact, putting our mark on the world. Well, let's do it in prayer. The call to pray is urgent. Secondly, the way to pray is varied. Notice how Paul uses four words to talk about it. In the version that I'm reading, these, come, these are uh, requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Uh, in other translations, uh, requests is sometimes put as petitions or supplications. And these can suddenly then, therefore, sound like complicated terms. We can wonder then, is prayer just the realm of the expert? Is that why... Paul is writing with those four terms. No, they're not here to intimidate us. They're not here to to complicate. Paul's not looking to just speak to a particular team and turn them into prayer experts. He's not wanting to develop a hierarchy where one Christian might say to another, oh yes, well like you, once upon a time, I've made simple requests. Now I've moved on to intercession. But then somebody else over here says, well, I've just been interceding so well now over the past decade that I'm now in the place where I have graduated even further. And I just give thanks for all of my prayers that have been answered. I've got nothing left. It's all done. I've been so efficient. I've been so fruitful. Come, be like me. And so most of us are down here in the requests category. Oh, my God. that's not why this is here Paul's emphasis is variety actually that's very releasing he says to uh, again he says to the Ephesians they've heard this before uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 and pray in the spirit on all occasions With all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So when you hear 
somebody else pray and you think, well, there's no way I could pray in that particular way. I don't have the eloquence. I, I, I'm not sure I could pray for as long as that. Then you just come back to Ephesians chapter 6, which says all kinds. All kinds. Our prayers are acceptable and pleasing to God only because of Christ and his perfection. So we come with all kinds of prayers because we're, we're in Christ. We have faith in what he has done. So Paul is not dictating just one way to pray. He's not encouraging chanting. He's not saying you have to sound exactly like someone else. Our prayers don't have to be uh, eloquent nor grammatically perfect. They don't have to be extended essays. We come to God with all kinds of prayers. And it would be unwise to say, oh, there, there must be these very four neat types of prayer. And then I'm going to approach it like a menu and pick one. Well, I'm just going to, I'm just going for requests. I feel like I'm a bit of an intercessor. No, it's just four characteristics. And just from each word, I'll just mention a few things. Prayers, a general term for praying to God. Requests, or petitions, or supplications. That word is stressing the sense of need. Asking for something specific. Like Bartimaeus. Remember Bartimaeus, the blind man? And as Jesus approached the town, I think it was Jericho, he's outside and he hears that Jesus is going by. What does Bartimaeus shout out at the top of his voice? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A big general prayer to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus draws near. And what does Jesus ask? What do you want me to do for you? And now Bartimaeus brings the specific request. He asks, I want to see. You see, all kinds of prayers. General, Jesus, have mercy on me. Specific, it's right here, Lord. This is it. This is what I'm wanting to draw to your attention. This is what I'm presenting before the throne of grace. And I think kids... You're great at this. You've had loads of practice. Because there are lots of times when you go to your mum or your dad or the adult who looks after you and you say, please can I? Please can I have? This is practice for seeking God. And sometimes as kids you might hear your parents pray or you might hear other people pray and it sounds like or it looks like or it feels like something a bit complicated, something for the expert, something that kind of feels a bit scary or that you kind of somehow you've got to grow into it years and years and years into the future one day maybe i'll be able to pray but if god is your heavenly father you can just come to him in your words with your requests please father i love it i just i've not read the whole book yet but just um reading a book by tim chester you can pray he says jesus says prayer and I think at this point he's commenting on the Lord's Prayer, is like a child asking her father for help. 
Simple as that. I can't overstate how important this is. So many books and talks on prayer make prayer a discipline that we need to work on so we can become good prayers. Prayer then becomes something we achieve. But it's not. Prayer is a child asking her father for help. Nothing more, nothing less. And you don't have to teach a child to ask for things. All that a child needs to know is that she is needy and her father loves her. All you need to know to pray well is that you're needy and your father loves you. And maybe sometimes we don't like acknowledging that, particularly as as grown-ups. We don't like acknowledging that we're needy. It feels awkward. And perhaps sometimes we forget how much God loves us. And so that, that reflex, that desire to pray... Gets, we allow it to be squashed. Let's just come back to that place. Prayer is not... You know, sometimes we use that phrase, the power of prayer. And I think we can understand that. God does powerful things as a result of prayer. But again, it can make it into an achievement. My powerful prayer. I must pray in a really powerful way. No, I need to acknowledge my need and come before God regularly. Say, Father, I know you love me. Here is what's going on. There's this word as well, intercession. Where here the focus is on familiar conversation. Coming really close to another. And having a conversation, a dialogue. And you look through scripture and you look at the occasions when Abraham talked with God. God responded and Abraham dares to ask again. Or Habakkuk who brings a, brings a complaint to God, pours out agonized prayer to God. And God responds. And that then affects how Habakkuk prays the second time. And God responds. And then Habakkuk prays the third time. It's this sense of, of dialogue. And also of kind of intervening in somebody else's case. Somebody else's situation that we bring before God to him, for him to deal with. No elaborate prop again, but this is my black folder. And I keep this normally in my bag. And mostly what's in it is a growing number of bits of paper that I don't quite know what to do with. Things that have come to my attention. Things that I should deal with. Things that I'm interested in. And I kind of stuff it in here. And then, obviously, I, I look, look at it from time to time. I close it. It's, it's not very heavy. It can get a bit more weighty. And intercession is, there are things that have grabbed our attention. And we get hold of them, and we bring them to God. Say, I'd just like you to see this. And I, uh, actually, I've got another prop, and his name is Will. Will, would you like to take the stage? I have prepared him for this. I don't know if he's prepared enough. Will represents my heavenly father. My folder represents all the things I care about that have got my attention and that I want to pray about. It's not very heavy, but I'm going to come to God and I'm going to come to God like this. Are you okay? You ready? Oh. You're right. Can 
I just show you a couple of things that have been on my mind recently? Yeah, it's all right. Would you like to put me down? <laughs> Thank you very much, Bill. It weighs something. It's weighing on me. These are the things that have got my attention. They won't have got everybody's attention. But they've grabbed mine. And I have a heavenly father. I can take a running jump at and come into his arms. At that point, who is carrying the weight? It's him. I'm still holding these things. I care about them. But he's carrying me. And he's carrying the things that I care about. I remember, and it's funny the things you remember sometimes, in a church that I grew up in, Pip and Jim's, St. Philip and St. James. Uh, I just remember hearing, it must have just been a very brief snapshot of a conversation. And I heard somebody recounting an answer prayer. And it concerned a lady in the church. And she worked in a school. And I think maybe in like a, teaching assistant type role she was looking to support particular uh, boys and girls in the class and there's one particular boy in her class who was also part of the same church Uh, and she noted that his handwriting was really bad really bad and this is what she did I heard through somebody else she put it in here And every day, for a year, she went to God and said, God, help Joel's handwriting. Every day, for a year. Now, I don't know if that was some epic experience of prayer where she was caught up into the heavenlies, or just a frequent reminder, God, I'm bringing it back to you, I'm reminding you again. There's this lad, and I pray that you would help him with his handwriting. And that prayer was answered in a really clear-cut way in the classroom after a year of interceding with a specific request on his behalf. Wow. I think there are others. And sometimes read of this or hear of this. Parents saying... I've done my best parenting through prayer. I've tried to do lots of talking to my son or my daughter. Here are the issues. Here are the consequences. Here's your other options. Here's what this person has done. Here's what, oh, have you seen what she's, how she's handled the situation? You must not do that again. I've tried speaking. Talking, and that's important. Training and teaching and disciplining and so on. And then I changed tactic a little bit. Still said some things, but mainly with urgency. Oh God, here is a need. Here is somebody I care about. Would you do something? Would you intervene? And maybe that's every day for a year or something else. And maybe you just tuck it away and say, actually, this isn't a public testimony. This is just me and God working out how I can parent. Or maybe in some other sphere of life. Notice also Thanksgiving, and I'm trying to come up to a bit of a close. 
This, uh, Paul likes this little combination. So he says to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, that combination again, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Thanksgiving keeps us Godward. Otherwise, it's possible to kind of be sucked into anxiety like a black hole. There are things that we care about. There's someone in mind. They grab our attention. They're massive issues. We pray about them, but it leads us to anxiety. It leads us just into anxious thinking. That's why it's sometimes just so helpful to verbalize our prayers, even if it's just us in the room. Because then we know it's not just me thinking. I'm actually bringing this before God in prayer with thanksgiving. The man who's writing a letter from prison says rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your prayers and your petitions always be accompanied by thanksgiving. It builds faith. It reminds us of who it is we're praying to. Why else does the Lord... uh, teach the disciples when you pray say our father in heaven if i start there i remember who he is i remember the relationship he's brought me into i remember i can say our father i'm part of a community i can also say our father me and jesus we're brothers now we're family now i can pray because i'm in with jesus so i'm going to bring my requests to him with thanksgiving. What would it do to our prayer life if in this next week we decided every time I pray, I'm going to begin our Father in heaven or Heavenly Father, thank you and allow it to develop from there. Thirdly, and just in bringing to a conclusion, the focus of our prayers is everyone. If we're not feeling a little bit daunted, maybe we are now. Maybe we should be. The call to prayer doesn't flatter us. The Bible is not telling us how able we are and how powerful we are. It's reminding us about how weak we are and how needy we are and how we need to bring things before him and we need to pray with his help. We simply cannot fulfill this calling in the flesh. We're being reminded of our, of our need. How do I pray for everyone? That's a little bit tricky to do by name. But it reminds us as well that our prayers are to match his heart. Therefore, we want to pray for everyone whom the Lord created, everyone the Lord loves, everyone the Lord desires to save, everyone we know, people that we don't know, anyone and everyone who grabs our attention. No one is out of the reach of God's love and grace. Paul isn't. I wasn't. Same for you. That family member is not outside the reach of God's love and grace. Your Muslim neighbor is not outside the reach of God's love and grace. Your best friend is not outside the reach of God's love and grace. And your worst enemy isn't outside the reach of God's love and grace and maybe this is where they started to detect things aren't right in Ephesus they're praying but maybe just for themselves or they're praying but somehow it's got really really narrow 
So there is this really direct, really urgent call to prayer. I give thanks for what God does amongst us. I give thanks for prayers answered and people turning out to pray. I give thanks that God keeps knocking me on the shoulder saying, first of all, Dan, first of all, here's the most important thing. I may never preach after today. Should that bother me too much? Oh, I'm distraught. I can't do that thing. Oh, whenever I read a passage, I always think about how to preach it. What I'd say to people, I'd love to, what's my greatest privilege? What's yours? It's speaking to God, isn't it? And he wants, he wants it to happen. He invites us to do it. He saved us with his grace so that we can. He's available absolutely every moment. There can be moments where we make time to close the door and get before him and bring our requests to him. There can be arrow prayers that are just right there and then in the moment. Lord God, you know, right now, I need your help. And that's all we've really got the time to say because we're right in the midst of the situation that demands our attention. All kinds of prayers. to a father with a big smile on his face. You know, there are things that concern us that are going on in the world. How can we make a difference? You remember that globe I bought? I meant to bring it today, actually, but it was only for a brief moment. Actually, just to represent the world. What, how do, when we find out what's going on in North Korea, or when, we, when, when we're thinking about the NHS, when we're thinking about anything that's going on, oh, oh goodness, any, everywhere you look around the world, something... What's our response? There might be many steps of action and obedience and faith that God leads us into. But first, let's just take it, embrace in prayer. Bring it to him, the God who does the heavy lifting, the God who cares more than we possibly could, the God who's working out the whole of history to his plan and purpose. I urge you then, first of all, to pray for everyone. Amen. We'll respond in just a moment in in worship. Dear Lord God, I pray that you'd help us be comfortable with always wearing L plates when it comes to prayer. Save us, Lord, from the things that distract us. Save us, Lord, from a competitive spirit where we're trying to match up or outdo. Make prayer our achievement. Lord, we can't run away from our weakness. We may as well just run to you with it. I pray, Lord God, I pray that we would learn. I pray that we would grow. I pray that we would see what you can do and want to do in answering prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.